Ephesian elders. He believed this would be the last time he saw them. And so he was giving them a farewell address. And um, we break it up into three parts. Each section having a different theme. But let's begin. Look, if you would, Acts 20. Start with verse 28. We'll jump right to where we're at. Paul writes, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Again, good evening to Wednesday night Bible study. Paul's address is broken up into three sections. He reviews the past. And he starts out by talking about the motive and the manner and the message of his ministry. He talked about the past, his ministry that he had there in Ephesus. And then he talks about the second part, the testimony of the present. And there he talked about six different descriptions or pictures of a minister or really of a faithful Christian and how they show us a different aspect of our Christian experience and our duties as servants of God. And now in Roman numeral 3, it's a warning about the future. It's a warning about the future. Paul was bringing this farewell message to a close by warning the leaders of the danger that they had to recognize and deal with if they were to protect and lead God's flock. Very important. And um, we can break up our three sub-points under the Roman numeral three. The dangers around us, Paul, we dealt with that last week. The false teachers from without, they would try to pervert the gospel and deceive the people. Secondly, the dangers among us, and that's what we're going to hit on tonight, What happens within the body when we don't keep peace and unity and we allow things to get out of uh, out of tilter, you'll see the dangers not from without. That was last week. This is something that can happen from within. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And then lastly, the dangers within us. And that last part, you'll see Paul, he'll bring out um, about five different um, sins, characteristics that we have to watch out for as leaders that can really corrupt our minister and really hinder our ministry. Different things that can really derail our ministry, deflate, dilute our ministry, and keep away its effectiveness. But tonight, we're going to, again, the warning about the future. The warning about the future. We started in verse 28, very simply. The first duty we have, if we're going to be any good in the kingdom of God, I've got to guard myself before I can guard you. Amen? I've got to watch myself before I'm really going to be very effective in watching you. And that, that's verse that's verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. And then the flock of God. You have a flock, but you're not going to be very good watching your flock if you haven't watched yourself. Amen? And again, I have to to make sure that my character and my conduct are in line. That I'm walking close with God and hiding that Word in my heart. Or I'm going to be very um, limited in my ability to discern for you and watch out for you and pour into your life. So again, um, warning about the future. 
We studied last time the dangers around us, the dangers around us. And that was verse 29. See how Paul says it very simply. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves, that's the language he uses, will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And again, he's talking about false teachers. And that's what we spent our good session on last time. The counterfeits who want to exploit the church for personal gain. They'll teach false things, but they'll also deny true things. They'll teach things that are false, but they'll also deny. They'll deny uh, the deity of Christ. They'll deny salvation in Christ alone. They'll deny the inspired word of God, etc. They'll deny things as well as. And, and folks, one of the most important things that the preacher does, whether it be the pastor, evangelist, prophet, uh, apostle, Ephesians 4 tells us one of the most important things we do is to build and equip the church so they'll not be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. One of the jobs of preachers is to bring people to a place of spiritual maturity, knowing the word, so they won't be easily deceived and easily swayed and easily blown away by every wind of doctrine which is out there. And you'll see that in Ephesians 4. You can look at that in your devotional time. But, you know, the first thought really stresses to you and I the importance of why we have Sunday school and why we have Bible studies. It's only the Word of God and our our diligence to that Word of God, our proper effort in learning what the Bible says that keeps us from this deceptive age in which we live, where things are so mixed up, things are so confused, that even denominations that once knew the power and fire of God have been led astray and have given into compromise. It's our life jacket to know the Word of God, and it is our duty to teach our children and to teach those that God would bless us by bringing them in our doors to teach them the pure, undefiled Word of God. It's very, very important. It's good to have a fish fry from time to time. It's good for the guys to go bowling. But nothing, nothing, nothing replaces Bible study, the Word of God, the Word of God. You can have all the trophies of softballs and all the other things that we do that take the tares happy. But we need to be a Bible people loving the Bible and stressing, thus saith the Lord. Somebody say amen. Those places, those denominations that deny the Word, that used to love the Word, it didn't happen overnight. When they began to exalt other things and put aside the most important thing, very slowly and very gradually, they didn't know the Word and they got a little doubtful concerning the Word and wavering about the Word. So, again, it is of great importance that you as an individual study your Bible. You know, men and women gave their lives so you can have that Bible in your language. Men and women throughout church history were burned at the stake because the devil and religion did all they could to keep the Word of God from people. They didn't want you to know the Bible so they could control you and they could deceive you. You study your history. It's so clear. Men and women gave their lives. They were outlawed. They were in prison. Why? Because they actually took the Bible and wrote it in the language someone could understand it. So understand what a privilege you have to have a Bible you can read. To have the Word of God. You don't have to get whooped up into some frenzy to get a prophecy. You don't got to oh, get all, you know, whacked out like some people do to have a vision. You can simply open up that Word of God and the Spirit of God will teach you and you can know God and you can walk with the great living God. Isn't that wonderful? So learn the Bible, know the Bible, attend Bible study. And in the church, support Sunday school, support the Bible studies. It's what keeps us pure and keeps us walking close with God. Okay, number one. Paul warns them about the dangers around us. And that's still a present threat. He called them savage wolves that want to ravage the flock, the false teachers. But now this evening, look at verse 30, because that's where we're going to find our thrust this evening. 
But there are also dangers among us. Dangers among us. Verse 30 is interesting. Paul says, even from your own number. Wow. That's a little sobering, isn't it? But you know, a lot of us grew up in this thing, didn't we? We can look back at people that used to be Sunday school teachers and superintendents. And they're far from God today, aren't they? They walked out with another, another man's wife. I mean, that we, we've, we've seen that. Oh, yeah, they, they got off into crazy doctrines. You'll know some of the people that founded the craziest cults came out of churches that preached the Bible. So, again, let's, let's look at verse 30. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort, they'll twist, they'll pervert that truth in order to deceive, to draw people away after themselves. So be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Amen? Be a Berean. You test everything you hear with the Word of God. Amen? All right, you got the Spirit of God within you and the Word of God without, and you test everything you hear by those two things, all right? Be on your guard. Remember that for three years. See, Paul stressed this. This was something Paul did continually because he knew the devil was vigilant continually. Remember that for three years. I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Okay, there's dangers among us. Verse 30, because of people within the church who are often ambitious for position and power and have to have their way. There are defections from the inside. Defections from the inside. Now, it's not so much an attack from the outside. It's a defection from the inside. And I just... I remember in leadership classes I would teach or I've read about, they teach, you know, the Great Wall of China. They say it's so big they can see it from the moon. I don't know if that's true. I've never been to the moon, but if I get there, I'll take a look. Amen. But they said that Great Wall of China, I mean, it was massive. It was impregnable, but it did get overrun a few times. But every time it got overrun, it was never from the out. It was when the, the enemy bribed one of the guards to let him in. See, it wasn't so much overrun from without. There was a desertion and a defection from within. Wow. The devil can't get in if someone don't let him in. Church history, whether ancient or modern, is filled with accounts of people like Diotrephes who loved to be first. Beware of loving to be first. Don't always have to be first. Don't let that be. Don't, don't, don't do that. If you want a preeminence, look at 3 John. That's little, little John. 3 John, verse 9 through 11. And you go to Revelation. You take a left. You jump over Jude. Take a left and it should be right there. Um, 3 John, verses 9 through 11. Let's read this about this man that wanted to be first. And he so wanted to be first that um, he even wouldn't let the Apostle John in the church. Can you imagine that? He was so controlling, he was so caught up in having to rule, that he even rejected the Apostle John's counsel. Can you imagine that? He walked with Jesus, and yet he was so caught up. You know, when you get caught up in flesh and pride, you don't listen to any authority. Uh, the chief of rebels. This is John right now. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first. Look out if you love to be first. Watch out, the devil wanted to be first, didn't he? He wasn't satisfied with just being a precious angel and being in the presence of God. He wasn't satisfied. He wanted more. Dangerous thing. I think some of the New King James preeminence wanted preeminence. We'll have nothing to do with us. 
This, you don't want anything to do with the Apostle John. You want to receive from the Apostle John. Because he wants to have control. He wants to be first. So if I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. He's so controlling. Why? He's not listening to authority. I mean, the Apostle John, that's authority right there. Amen? I mean, if there's authority, the Apostle John. Anyone that would threaten him, having his ways, wants to put him out of the church. Oh, what we do when we want to be first. Don't be afraid to be questioned. <laughs> Don't be afraid to be lovingly questioned. What does that next verse tell us? What does that next verse tell us? Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil. Don't be like this guy that always wants to be first. Don't be so caught up in always having your own way. Because when we let that spirit in, that's the spirit of hell. Amen? And then it's amazing what we'll do to keep it. We will reject proper authority. We won't listen to common sense. And we'll fight anyone that doesn't agree with us. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. They're lost. Somewhere along the line, they lost it. They had it, but they lost it because it came from us. Now, sad to say, there's more than one false teacher got his start in the church. In the church. Look at you at 1 John 2, 18 and 19. 1 John 2, 18 and 19. God know your Bible. Amen? Some know their blue book for their used car better than their Bible. You know that? They know the stats for the batting leader better than their Bible. Oh, Lord, we wonder why we're in a mess. Isn't that right? We wonder why we're in such a mess. I mean, some of them know their soap operas. That's stuff from hell. And they, they know their soap operas better than they know their... Oh, Lord. That's good. Thank you. Someone amen. Man, my Lord, that was all right. I mean, we got to get real here. we got to get real. We wonder why we got problems. God gives us a book and we, we rather read the funny pages. My Lord. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the, the Antichrist is coming, the ultimate Antichrist is coming. But even now, many little Antichrists, people that are Antichrist, reject the authority of Christ, reject the word of Christ, have come. The main one's coming, but there's, he's got those that have the same spirit, that same rebellious spirit. Even now, many antichrists have come, and this is how we know it is the last hour. I mean, we know it's the last hour, amen? I mean, they're, they're defending um, debauchery, and they're denying the holy word of God. It's the hour in which we live. Look at that next verse. Look at that next verse. See, they went out from us. Oh, my goodness. You mean they sat where we sat? They shouted and ran the aisles at one time at camp meeting. Am I reading that right? They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Ultimately, there's an exposing. Ultimately, it's pulled back. You see. Sooner or later, the, the tares and the wheat get divided. And the real gets, and the false gets. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, 
they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them really belonged to us. Wow. Wow. Looking back at Acts 20 and verse 30, Paul says, Even from your own number, men will arise and distort. Distort. The word distort, some of your versions, it's perverse. Um, twisting. Twisting God's truth for their own perverted end. Twisting the truth to make it suit their agenda. Twisting it to justify their lifestyle or justify what they want you to swallow. And often, and often what you have with these that twist it is this perversion of truth. There's a mixture. But, but the mixture, for the most part, sounds good. Like we said last time. They can have the same um, vocabulary, but a different dictionary. They can have the same word, but a different definition. You know, you say the Holy Spirit means one thing. They say the Holy Spirit means something else. They, they, you talk about praying in tongues. and They talk in two different things. You see what I mean? I mean, you can have the same word mean two different things to two different people. So you've got to know what it means. What I learned years ago, and, and I got, I'm just assuming it's true, but I can remember it was early years. I was in college, Bible college, 17. I went 17 that first semester. And I can remember some things from all the way back then. And one was that, and I don't know if it's true, because I never, I never tested it, but they, the teacher said rat poison is like 99% good for the rat. It's the 1% that kills them. See, a lot of that was false doctrines because that's why they deceive so many, because we don't know enough about our Bibles. And, oh, that sounded good, and woo, made my hair stick up. They've got to be God. Amen. And three people fell down. Sure enough, that's got to be God. Well, it only takes one bit of poison to kill you. The 99 can be good for you. You know what I mean? But it's the part that's going to kill you you've got to look out for. And so when they pervert the truth, they, they, they don't pervert it so crazy that you'll know, look out, that guy's crazy. They'll just twist it enough to manipulate or deceive or to get their thing done. It says that they distort the truth and their goal is to draw away, draw away disciples after themselves, draw people away. They draw away, they, they sow discord and mischief so they can draw away. And God hates those who sow discord among the brethren. That's in the Bible. It actually says God hates those who sow discord among the brethren. I, I think it's right up there with God hates those that shed innocent blood. So you can really know where God feels on certain things. Um, they teach error, often taking an extreme view of a proper doctrine. You see, a lot of times the heretics will take a proper thing, but take it to such an extreme that it's really not what it's really supposed to be. They attack leadership. They try to discredit. They're very divisive. Let's look at a couple of examples from the New Testament. Again, they came from us. They weren't of us. Paul said, but they came from us and they twisted it. That they might draw people away. The devil uses them to cause people to leave the proper faith and to leave the proper devotion to Christ. Let's look. Go with me if you would. Second Timothy two, 
Let's look at verses 14 through 18. 2 Timothy 2. And again, remember how Paul said in Acts, I kept reminding you three years I was with you constantly, day and night with tears, because he knew how serious this was. And now here is 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to that young preacher, young son in the faith, Timothy, and he's giving the same advice. He's saying, Timothy, you're going to be a good shepherd. You've got to keep warning them. Remember, even back in the days of Paul, in some ways things were a lot harder than they are now. They didn't have the canon of Scripture. They didn't have all the Bible like we do. The denominations haven't been really, actually the total theology hadn't really been brought to where it is now. So things were still happening. Things were still being discovered. And, and so now we know. Now we have proper doctrine in our, our schools. Now we can give you proper material to know. Back then it was a lot different. There was a lot more things going around. And so they really had to watch out. And Paul says, listen, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those that listen. Some people are always quarreling about this little thing and that little thing. And really, it's usually to deflect from the main subject that they don't want to deal with that's clear in the Scripture. Have you ever talked with anyone? They'll try to bring out this or that and get some crazy argument instead of dealing with what's black and white. You need a Savior. You're living crazy and you know it. Keep reminding them. Warn them. Look out for quarrels. They don't, buy, they, don't, they don't do any good. They'll just ruin those that listen because everybody gets contaminated, frustrated. Do your best to present yourself to God as approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Amen? Know your Bible, love your Bible, properly handle your Bible. Learn how to properly read it and apply it. Again, avoid godless chatter. Because those that indulge in godless chatter will become more and more ungodly. From the abundance of our heart. So a lot of godly, ungodly chatter here says there's something ungodly in here. Amen? Their, their teaching will spread like gangrene. See? That false teaching spreads like something that destroys, that, that, that infects. Like gangrene. And he gives an example here. Among them, Memengius and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. Wait a second. You can't wander from it if you weren't first near it. Isn't it right? So they wandered away from the truth. You had to be pretty close to truth to wander away from it. Remember, they came from us, but they weren't among us. They came, but they... And so they were here. And then they wandered from the truth. But bad enough, they wandered from the truth. They're going to take some people with them to wander from the truth because they're going to spit out perversions in the twisting of doctrine. They say, they were telling people that the resurrection had already taken place. They were telling people, listen, Jesus already returned. You missed it. Just live like you want to live. They just, you know. And it says here, they destroy the faith of some. So here's some that once were either had the truth, believed the truth, were near the truth, they wandered from the truth, but not enough that they wandered from the truth, they spread, they twisted, so they could take people after them. That's what Paul was saying in Acts. That's what we've been reading. He's deceiving people to follow after them by, by, by telling them the resurrection already took place. And Paul says, they, by their false teaching, 
they, by twisting of that truth, they destroy the faith of some. There's another thing. You've got to watch who you listen to. You've got to watch who you allow speak into your life. Now, quite frankly, sometimes the younger a Christian, and I say young, I mean some people have been in church 30 years and still pretty young because they haven't cracked open a Bible too much in 30 years. I mean young as far as knowing your Bible and stuff. Amen? You've got to watch that. Because you've got to watch who you're listening to. Because if you don't know the truth, it's so easy to be deceived. It's easy to say, that makes sense. That thing's good. Look at that, you know. But we know that book. It's very easy to say, <laughs> he's out of touch. Forget that. Switch that channel and listen to that joker. Get off his mailing list. Amen. Don't send him a nickel, even if he promised you a million bucks. Get away. Go away. Is that the last verse? That's the last verse. But here they are. They started with truth. Then they wandered from truth. But they didn't wander alone, did they? They perverted truth and they twisted truth. And they actually destroyed the faith of people. That's why you watch. You got to watch out who teaches a class. You got to watch out who, who's you know running the Bible study. You see. Go forward very quickly. Titus one one through ten. Titus one one through ten. Here's here's another example. Because Paul's warning them, and this is again for us today. What's the application? That is why we make no uh, apology for Sunday school in Bible study. In exalting the Word of God. And over and over again declaring the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And as Christians, we need to know it. We need to love it. And we need to study it. So we won't be deceived in this present hour. And those that God would bless that come in and worship with us would know the truth. that will set them free. And they'll have the ability to discern in this deceitful age. And here's another group. These were the group that were still so bound in the old Judaism... And they're trying to mix Christianity and Judaism, but they were just getting a perverted gospel. Paul writes, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers, deceivers. He calls them deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision group. They're the ones that say, listen, it's good to have faith in Christ, but that's not enough. You need faith in Christ plus circumcision like Moses told us if you want to be saved. You're going to add anything to that gospel, you've got a false gospel. Alright? By grace through faith. And look what Paul says here in the next verse. Paul says now, he's writing, he's writing to Titus now, another young preacher. He's saying, son, you've you got to deal with that. You've got to silence them. You know, you can deal with people that come in of all shapes and sizes that are struggling with this and struggling with that. Be very patient with them. And you pray for them and help them. Sometimes like... Brother Johansson taught many years ago, sometimes you've got to hold them to God heals them. He preached out of Acts 3, the man to lame gate. Sometimes you've got to hold them to God heals them. But as soon as someone starts spreading what is unholy and unclean, immediately you've got to deal with that rascal. They might not know better, and then they'll receive it. They might know better, and then you run them off and you say, well, praise God. You, you got rid of that thing before he um, distorted and perverted and affected the innocent. Isn't that right? You, most of you, I think, were good parents, I think. Are you good parents? Well, you see something that might be a danger to your child, we wait and see, or no, I don't wait and see nothing. <laughs> we, we're going we're gonna to deal first. We'll wait and see later. I'm waiting and seeing. You wait and see. Not when it's my kid. Amen? Can you say amen? So when you see something that could be a danger, 
That's what Paul's saying. Paul said, listen, they must be silenced. But now, Paul, that's not showing love. Paul's saying, don't, don't talk to me like that. You just show how ignorant you are. They must be silenced. Why? Because they're ruining whole households. Entire families are being deceived and swayed by the false teachers that twist in the truth that came from among. That came from among. That's why there's always got to be a good standard on those who have any place of influence in a church. You know, there's a different set of rules to sit there than to stand here. Anyone, much is required who much is given. And if you have influence, much more is required of thee. Because you have the ability to affect how they think, how they feel, and how they believe. Another sermon for another day. I used to preach that a lot. I had younger people that had to be trained. You come in any way you want, sit out there. And we'll believe God with you. But you're going to get in a place of position. You're going to show up to prayer meeting when prayer meeting is called. You're going to be faithful not every one, once every three weeks. And you're going to have your house in order. Isn't that right? Because that person walks in off the street and they know you from wherever. They say, oh, it's okay to do that, huh? I guess that, that, that church believes that. Oh, no, no, no. When you get to this place, there, there's a standard that must be kept. Woo! Some all say amen with me. I know i got enough old school people here to say that's truth. That's truth. There you go. Hallelujah. Yeah, they must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And then Paul, kind of like in brackets, he says, there's always a motive. There's always a motive behind it. There's always a motive behind it. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. There's usually some kind of motive. Impure. But the fact remains, because they're perverting the truth. Remember, partial truth, right? It's the rat poison. They got no problem with believing in Jesus. They would have no problem putting faith in the cross. They just got to add the circumcision thing to it. That, that's, the, that's the 1% that severs you from the true gospel. And Paul says they're teaching that and it's fostering confusion. When you judge the fruit of something, if there's confusion, you need to step back real quick. You know hell got in somewhere. Because God is not the author of. So when you see confusion, that's like a sign. Hang on. All right, you got that right. Smelling some smoke. Hang on, hang on. Something don't, no, no, no. Confusion. Confusion out of God, you see. We got a generation that's confused. Some don't know if they're a boy or a girl. They're confused. Come on. I'm just saying there's a spirit of this age that brings a confusion. So men don't know right from wrong. And then we start applauding the wrong and shaming the right. Confusion. In fact, one of the ways. Glory, I got some time. Go to James, the third chapter. James, the third chapter. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We're going to measure things. But sometimes, you know, sometimes you try to. One of the. I won't say what politician I heard it from first. Um, But you say, first thing you do when you find out you're in a hole, what do you do? You stop digging. When you realize you're in a hole, first thing you do is stop digging. Stop digging. I see some people, man, they've been in a hole 20 years, so we'll stop digging. You're not going to get out by digging. You've got to change something. The Bible will, will give us some, um, some sense, some signs 
some things that if we see these things, we recognize something went amiss. So James, the third chapter. Let me turn there. Because I didn't give them this, this verse in the back, so I'm just going to throw this at you. But I want you to see this. Go to verse 13, if you would, please. I want you to see the difference now. James is going to talk about heavenly wisdom and hellish wisdom. Wisdom that's from above and wisdom that's from man and fallen nature, okay? And, and these different types of wisdom will produce a different type of fruit. Now, so if I see certain fruits, it tells me I should be near a certain tree. I don't, might not know the bark, you know, I might not be able to go, but if I look up, oh, pear, must be, you know, right? So if I begin to see certain characteristics fall or be frequented, let's look at this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life and deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. The person that really walks in the wisdom of God is not just a talker, but they show up by the life they live and by deeds that are done with a humble heart and a humble spirit before God and man. Verse 14 says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition... See, again, these guys that Paul's talking about, right? Their, their motives are impure. That's they're drawing people away. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't bolster about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, what's the next line? And of the devil. Always ask, when, when you get frustrated, and we all get frustrated. I get frustrated. You get frustrated? Good to be honest in church. Isn't it good? All right. But one of the things we always have to ask ourselves is this. What's motivating me right now? It might be a righteous motivation, but I'm saying, what's motivating me? Right? And if I'm being motivated by something that's selfish, or something that's just envy, then I realize, Lord, I need to get things right. I'm out of whack. I'm producing this fruit. That apple, that piece of fruit I just picked up, I produced it. So let me get it right. For verse 16, now listen, verse 16, okay? For where you have envy, so if you see envy, or selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice, confusion, strife, and every evil work. That's what comes from the fleshly wisdom, the selfish agenda. But now wisdom that comes from heaven, when we're walking in the Spirit, when we seek to glorify God, amen? And we're walking by the Spirit and the Word of God. First of all, that, that wisdom, verse 17 now, check this out. Number one, it's pure. If, if your quote-unquote wisdom isn't pure, guess what? It didn't come from God. Pure, it's peace-loving. It's not friction, strife. Peace-loving. It's considerate. How about that? The Spirit of God is considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's not phony. Peacemakers who sow in peace. 
raise a harvest of righteousness. Wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. All right, let me just, let me expand our thought here. Because we are trying to finish up this, um, our second sub-point over, under Roman numeral three. There were also dangers among us. I want to expand our thought now. All right. We study that there are those that come off from among us. They drift from the faith. They take others with them. They teach false things. They pervert truth. They draw those away. But now, just to take a little bigger picture here. It is so important when you study the Word of God, the importance of unity among the brethren. The Bible tells us is where the oil flows. Psalm 133. That's where the oil flows. Man, how blessed are the brethren dwell together in unity. That's about the oil flowing and the dew and the fruitfulness and the blessing of God. It's the early church, one accord, one accord. And you see that. And it's very important that we do our part to recognize the importance of proper unity in our homes, in our congregation. I mean, wherever the, the, the people of God are. So let's look at some verses. Walk, walk with me quickly. Here's some Bible warnings. Go to Galatians 5, 14 and 15. Here's our Bible warnings. Why it's so important that you and I do our part to walk in this proper unity. Amen? Paul writes, listen, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Alright. What's the next line? But now, if I'm not going to walk in love... Look out, because if I keep biting and devouring each other. Now notice the devil is not in this line. Paul is addressing the people of God. When we stop walking in love and consideration one towards another. When we no longer are striving to be peacemakers and problem solvers. And we want to be first. And we want preeminence. And we are unwilling to change. And you know, we want look out. That, listen, the devil, devil just steps back and says... <laughs> I'll let them beat them. They can beat themselves up. This will save me a little. This here Paul writes, this is Galatians, if you keep biting and devouring each other, look out! Or you will be destroyed by who? That'll, you can apply that to your house. You can apply that to your church. You can apply that to your relationships with the brethren. If I choose to walk in love... It's one thing. But I choose to be selfish, agenda-driven, got to have my way. I'm unwilling to compromise at all. I'm going to get you and you're going to get me. We just, Paul says, you're just going to bite and devour each other. And in the end, you'll wind up defeating each other, destroying each other. Oh, my. Keep us from that. Remember how Jesus said, um, a house divided can't stand when there's division because no one's willing to meet halfway when no one's willing to be a peacemaker and find common ground with one another again it's that preeminence got to be first bless God if we can't have it my way then I'm just gonna that's not God at all that's flesh and that brings the devouring and Jesus said if a house divided it can't stand it won't stand at all Paul talked about give no place to the devil. It's when we do that thing, we just give the devil open access to stir things up, to sow seeds of discord, to get the bruise of bitterness. I see some people saying congregation, they, they couldn't, couldn't worship together. I said, man, we got a problem somewhere. Going to pull down strongholds. Can't overcome a little 
say amen or out. But that one was all right. Come on. I always have to ask, what's driving me? What's driving me? What's driving me? If I've got a problem with you, what's driving me? There's a course of action to take, the Bible tells me, if I have ought against my brother. And I can take that. But often that's not the thing. It's just something because I'm jealous because I wanted the promotion, because I wanted the bigger truck and he could afford it and I can't. And it makes me angry. You know, I've got to check. Let a man examine himself. I've got to examine sometimes what's causing me. She's called me on at a time or two in different churches when I'd have a problem with someone and I used to have to search. She goes, are you just because of X, Y, Z? And I'd have to check my heart to make sure this was a spirit. But sometimes it's a spirit. And other times I step back, so maybe they just remind me of so-and-so and I just had an attitude from the beginning. And other times it was God. And, oh, this is a spirit. I see something no one else is seeing. And, you know, and you got to deal with certain things. But it's all right when your loved ones call you that. Let a man examine himself. Go examine your heart. Amen? Why don't I like that person? Why, why, do I can't, why do I have a hard time expressing respect for that? You know, I've got to check my heart. Check my heart. Watch out for personal agendas, inability to make room for proper compromises, to find common ground. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 9, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace lovers. Everybody loves peace. It sounds so spiritual and so, you know, beautiful, right? And precious. Draw a little picture, put it on a Hallmark card. Um, but, but, but to be a peacemaker, man, you've got to deal with stuff. You've you got to talk things through. Isn't that right? You've got to be able to speak, but also to listen. If you're going to be a peacemaker and find common ground, you can't have your way. You've got to, you've got to meet halfway. You've got to... Isn't that right? Peacemakers. Isn't that true? Yeah. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That's what blessing is. Now, now we see there's a biblical warning that if I don't strive for peace and unity, if I'm not a peacemaker, if I don't walk in love in my home or in my church... Look out, because before you know it, we bite and devour each other. We destroy each other. We give place to the enemy. That house divided will not stand. Jesus said so. But we shouted and sang. Our grandparents, 500 years ago, founded a thing. Don't care who founded it. House divided will not stand. If that Spirit of God gets greed, folks, all we got is hot air. That's, uh, isn't that right? Here's some biblical exhortation now. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Because we want to do what we need to do to walk in unity. I want the Spirit of God in my house. How about you? Amen? Don't you want the peace and the joy to be in your home? Well, then we can't bite and devour each other, can we? Isn't it right? We can't be ruled by selfishness and agenda. I've always got to have my way or I'm going to have a hissy fit. Can't do that, can we? Can't do it in our house. Can't, can't do it in our church. i got a vision. Some people got a vision. you got to sit down. got a vision. You need Bible study. Vision. Is that right? I want to have a place where the Spirit of God is not grieved or quenched. So there can be increasing moves and winds and rivers of that Spirit. Isn't that right? Where there's not a quenching, but there's an embracing and there's an attractiveness of humble hearts and sincere praise and love one for another. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Again, that's why I've got to search my heart. What's my motivation here? 
But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That's all right. You can go first. That's all right. We can talk this through. And we can make, you know, compromise. You, you know, I'm going to consider you. We've got to consider others. We live in a world that says, be first. Take charge. Sell yourself. Step over them if you have to. But Paul says, listen, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others. Consider others. Prefer your brother. Consider others. Put someone else first. That's all right. God put us first, didn't He? Went to that cross, man. He put us first. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. One of the best ways to produce peace and joy are to sow seeds that produce peace and joy. Isn't that right? One way we can do that, if I look out for your interest, how can I bless them? I bless them, he's going to get happy. Isn't that right? How can I bless them? Right? People, sometimes, people, I want to bless you. Think, how can I be a blessing here? What can I do to make someone happy today? What can I do to put a smile on someone's face today? What can I do to encourage? Everyone, everyone needs encouragement. Amen? In this world, isn't that right? Always getting a bad report. Always getting this world is just a fallen world. So what can I do to lift someone up? Because I know someone needs to be lifted up. I'm going to start sowing seeds that bring peace. That bring joy. Oh, man. Each you should look not only for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then I don't have time to expand on this, but in your devotion time, if you don't know what this chapter holds, the next few verses, Paul launches into the most deepest, profound Christology. That means theology of Jesus in the entire word of God. It's almost as if he's writing this. And, and, and you know, you ever, you ever write to someone or you're going to say something to them and you almost know how they're going to answer before they answer. You know how it's going to be received. Amen. And Paul's almost like, well, they're going to after I give them this. Oh, come on, Paul, we're going to be real, blah, 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 blah. And Paul will go from there and he'll take the next step and he'll say, consider Jesus. He says, you know what? Let's look at Jesus. Who can being God didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but willingly and lovingly laid aside all that and humbled himself. Oh, all the way to death on a cross for you and for me. He didn't put himself first, did he? He didn't he didn't put his own needs first, did he? And, and so Paul began here's the example. Let's be like Jesus. This Sunday, Lord willing, we want to preach. We want to preach from John thirteen. A towel in his hand, a lesson for our lives. A towel in his hand. He could have had a scepter, he picked up a towel. He could have ruled and reigned, he picked up that towel, man. Let's keep on going. Let's what's this? Um, Ephesians four, thirty one and thirty two, and I'll start closing down with this verse. Hallelujah. You know, friends, there's healing properties in forgiveness. There's healing properties in forgiveness. Healing properties in forgiveness. Paul writes, let's get rid of, and I put this first verse up there because I want you to be able to contrast something. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. Man, he's talking to the church. See, they didn't have all their act together either, so we don't feel so bad. Amen. Everyone talked about that first church like it was something out of the ordinary. No, they're people just like us. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. All those terrible things. And oh, I don't know about you, but I'm probably guilty of most of them, but not all of them. But He forgave me. Did He forgive you? Ah, probably guilty of bitterness, anger, a few other things. But God in His mercy, He didn't hold it against me. But He forgave me. He was kind to me when He could have judged me. He was compassionate towards me when He could have just rejected me and said, Oh, aren't you glad He's a good God? Aren't you glad He's loving and compassionate and kind? But just like He did that to us, we're supposed to do that to others. And if we'll do that, let's be kind to one another. But they were brash. They were... So were we. Let's be kind and compassionate. Let's forgive each other. Let's forgive each other. Forgive just like Christ. And God forgave us. Wow. There's healing properties in forgiveness. It can heal a marriage. It can heal a church. It can heal friendship relationships. There's a healing property in forgiveness. This forgiveness just really puts a, a dart in the heart of hell. Because when there's no forgiveness, that bitterness stays and that anger stays and, and hell's able to reign. But when real forgiveness comes, he gets driven out. And the sweet spirit of God can fill and no longer grieved or quenched, right? Oh, man. Yeah. Let's do our very best in our homes, in our relationships, in our church to walk in love. To walk in kindness and compassion. To do what we need to do that there be a sweet unity among the brethren. Amen? Not to always have to have our way, but consider others. How can I bless someone else? And when I am offended, hey, human life, you're going to be offended, alright? People are people, alright? Someone's going to say something that offends you or hurts you. and Sometimes they mean it, sometimes they don't. But either way, it still hurts, isn't that right? <laughs> Man or not, didn't mean it. Well, the arrow hurt the same, right? Whether you meant to shoot that baby or not, it's still a sharp. Isn't that true? But, but once they do what they do, then it's up to you to decide. I'm going to walk in love like Jesus. And if we can do that, we give no place to the devil. Instead of division, we can keep unity. And keep that wonderful spirit that fosters the good things of God and not the ugly things of hell. We pray, Father, we thank you for the warnings in your word. We thank you that you love us so much that you do give us these clear warnings so we can avoid these things, so we can be alert to these things. So we can identify and address and deal properly with things that are dangerous to our families, to our marriages, to our relationships with our children, to our church. But we can also sow those wonderful seeds of heavenly wisdom that will produce that fruit of peace and joy and righteousness. That will produce an atmosphere where the Spirit of God can dwell in our midst and move powerfully and mightily to change lives. Lord, help us to apply what we've learned tonight. Help us to prefer one another. 
and to walk in the love and the forgiveness and the compassion of Christ. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great night. We'll see you on Sunday.